Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, states are only just getting started with accessibility. We, we talk with the advocates who are keeping us honest that this is a journey more than a destination. And uh, you know they have been fully on board with that, realizing it's, a, it's an effort to just continually improve as the technologies change out from underneath us. Modernization doesn't just require tech, it takes people. I think the biggest challenge seeing it coming was personnel was one. I think when I started working on this project, I was the only person assigned to it. That was in 2014. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Pennsylvania Chief Information Officer John McMillan is stepping down after nearly eight years in the role. McMillan says he'll depart November 11th, just after the election, to replace term-limited Governor Tom Wolf. McMillan led a large-scale tech transformation effort that centered on citizen services. Former Atlanta CIO Gary Brantley, who left city government in November 2020, is now the National Football League's CIO. Brantley took on the role earlier this month and will oversee the NFL's tech assets and digital operations. As city CIO, he worked alongside his future NFL colleagues when Atlanta hosted the 2019 Super Bowl. The Education and Homeland Security Departments still have much catching up to do against the continued ransomware threat against public school districts nationwide, according to a new report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office. The office found that ransomware attacks between K-12 schools cost between three days to three weeks of lost learning, recovery times, or even longer. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Illinois' Department of Innovation and Technology is working to make its systems more accessible to those with disabilities. In 2020, disability advocacy groups in the state reported encountering accessibility issues with unemployment benefit systems, video conferencing platforms, and websites. In response, the state's IT office restructured its approach to accessibility and operationalized those efforts inside of government. The department's efforts won the Special Recognition Award from NASIO as part of the association's annual state IT recognition awards. Illinois CIO Jennifer Ricker tells State Soup's Colin Wood about how the project got started and what the future holds for tech accessibility in the state. So really, the, this goes back, I would say, you know, really early in the in the pandemic when we um, sent, sent everybody home, you know, government offices really shut down. Uh, everything um, really shifted to online virtual presence for everything. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I think as, as everything shut down like that, the, the public was in many cases, looking towards government and government services uh, e- even more significantly than they ever had before. So you kind of have these two things um, converging at the same time, which is no longer or really minimal ability to, um, you know, w- walk into a brick and mortar, see somebody face to face from the government to get assistance. And instead, you're looking to go online and, and maybe utilize applications online or um, go to websites to, to pull information. And so, you know, what we saw really quickly was um, and heard, you know, from feedback from from the public and from disability advocates and, and others that, you know, there were a lot of challenges still with a lot of the websites and a lot of um, agency applications um, that, that were not accessible. And so as we continue to work through those, um, and sometimes those were, you know, they might have been legacy applications, they might be applications um, run by one of our vendors, 
um, you know, some, some of that um, continue to be a challenge. And so this, this is really what led to the idea um, that I wanted to form this um, chief of information accessibility and really an information accessibility office that um, will serve the state from an enterprise-wide perspective um, and, and, and really build this out into something that is, um, you know, not, not a one-off um, or not something that comes up um, as kind of an afterthought, um, but more that this is, you know, that we've got good policies, standards, and governance in place around accessibility. It's built into all of our um, processes, uh, and it's built throughout uh, throughout all of the processes and not, again, not as an afterthought. So, so that's really um, kind of the genesis. So how much of your uh, original goal did have you achieved so far? Where what do things look like today in terms of accessibility? Yes. So sure, and uh, so I'll say a couple of things. So one, the the office itself is established. We have the new uh, chief information accessibility officer who's who's with us, Mike Scott. Um, sometimes that alone, I mean, that's that's tough. You know, governments governments slow, and sometimes even getting that far is difficult. So um, happy to say that's in place. Um, Mike is working hard to start to put, you know, processes, procedure, all of these things, um, create training plans. And he can talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success throughout in um, the last two years as well. Again, we didn't do this and nothing else. Like we were also, as we went, you know, improved improved accessibility of websites. We've, you know, started replatforming our websites. We are, um, you know, utilizing tools to help us test accessibility, um, to ensure websites are, are accessible, that the tools, the, you know, the content that's there um, is easily accessed, both for the public and for our own, our own staff as well. So um, we are, we have made a lot of progress. We've had, we've made good progress with, with a lot of vendors that we work with, um, also getting their support and ensuring their products are accessible. Um, lot, a lot of work still to do, but um, I am, we're getting there. We're getting there. Right. So, Mike, what are the uh, what are your main considerations as you attempt to make the state's services and information more accessible? And what are the sort of um, yeah, what are the challenges that you're you're seeing? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think it's um, right in line with what the secretary was sharing. Um, the idea of taking accessibility from something that we were doing kind of on the side uh, and when we could to to something that's really in the forefront. And, uh, you know, I've been working in the field for 20 some years um, and, and just in the few months since I've come on board as Chief Information Accessibility Officer, it's really given me a visibility and, and, and I think plugged accessibility uh, in in places where, you know, just it just wasn't before. And, and so I think um, along those lines, the idea of, of um, kind of operationalizing accessibility, you know, building it into governance and project management and procurement and, and making sure that the question about accessibility is asked um, as, as early in those processes as possible so that, um, you know, we're doing it right uh, the first time and not, not playing catch up like we um, often had to in the past. So that's been a, that's been a huge improvement um, just in the few months uh, since the new office has been created. Have you encountered much, uh, like, what has it been like working with other agencies and trying to trying to build accessibility in? Is that something that people are receptive to, that they want to do? Are you guys seen as a, a nuisance, asking them to do additional work? How, is, how, does, that, how does that go? You know, I, I think the, um, 
the attitude about accessibility, you know, has has swung back and forth a lot over the years. And and I've got to say, I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's because of some of the successes that we had over the last couple of years. Um, I feel like we're in a really positive space right now. And um, all the people who um, I've been able to reach out to in my new role, um, you know, have been really enthusiastic and interested. And that's not to say, it's, you know, not without challenges and, and concerns about is this going to, you know, affect my project or slow it down. But but um, overall, it, it has been almost surprisingly positive. And, and I think the um, uh, the level of cooperation uh, that that we're seeing is also um, really encouraging. Um, we're, you know, working together closely with uh, the governor's office, with the accessibility advocacy advocacy groups, um, with our vendors uh, who, are, who are working to you know meet our needs and, and improve their products, with um, the other agencies throughout the state. Um, one of the interesting pieces of this, and 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 kind of a uh, big component of our plans as we move forward is is to make accessibility um, bigger than just a, a do it or bigger than just an IT uh, uh, effort. And uh, getting the word out, which we've started doing already, uh, but getting the word out to the folks in state agencies and elsewhere who, who are not part of IT, but who are creating, you know, Microsoft Word reports and PowerPoint slideshows and uh, PDFs to go on websites that you know, everybody who's creating those kind of electronic documents um, can help and can make those uh, you know, that information more accessible to people with disabilities. So, I, you know, that's another exciting part of this is reaching out to the folks who haven't traditionally been involved in it. And and the few um, opportunities I've had to do that already, especially as part of the the um, the bigger um, diversity, equity, inclusion uh, initiative, uh, we're adding the A to that, making adding accessibility to that as well. Um, so the few occasions that I've had to um, meet with groups outside of IT, uh, there also has been a, you know, almost a surprising level of interest and enthusiasm to give it a try. You know, we, we've got a long way to go to get people there, but um, but I'm encouraged that uh, people seem willing and uh, on board with uh, you know getting this done together. Yeah, and I think um, just to add to that, I think some of the some of the reasons I think, Mike, to your point about that, that people are really seem more tuned into this. I think, you know, Governor Pritzker and his administration have made this a priority um, for them, as Mike just mentioned, um, around DEI and A at the end. Accessibility is part of that as well. So you have um, really support, prioritization and leadership from the very top of, of the state that is emphasizing the importance of this. And I think that that is reflected also in the leadership in, in each agency in the state and, um, and and what we're seeing with the responsiveness um, from from states, state employees. Right. That's great. I thought it might be interesting to look at a couple specific examples of things of, of what this means to improve accessibility. And I see a couple of things here. Uh, one is unemployment benefits. Another one is video conferencing. So we could talk about those or if there's something else that you think is interesting. Um, could you share a little bit about some specific ways that this is manifesting? Yeah, um, 
You know, I'll just I'll just mention just because this was, you know, one of the I mean, a couple of things you mentioned, both video conferencing and um, unemployment, both of those things really quickly, real early on in the in the pandemic. Right. Were uh, were sort of the top of the list, the things that were um, getting hit the hardest, so to speak, used used the most and, and drew the most attention. And so, um, yeah, from a from a video conferencing perspective, um you know, you kind of had the twofold issue of, um, you know, there it, it wasn't exactly fully compliant. There were still challenges with with what we were using, but we we worked with that vendor. They were super responsive to us uh, throughout. They really worked. I mean, quicker than I've ever seen. I think for uh, for any of the vendors we we work with on any accessibility issues. And Mike, please please jump in if you if you think different. But I. I thought they were fantastic for us that all the feedback we provided, um, they immediately worked to, you know, come out with, with a new iteration. They constantly did updates, um, on a regular basis. It seemed like almost monthly for a while. Um, anything we pointed out or asked for, they were, they were super accommodating. Um, you know, and, and the fact that this product, you know, wasn't just for us, it's, it's really for their, their customers everywhere. And so I felt it, it feels really good that we had, um, a part in, in improving that, not just for us, but, um, for the broader, broader customer base. I guess. Yeah. I, I just, I, yeah, that was, that was a really rewarding, um, example, you know, not only did we have, um, you know, I think a lot of success. We we have dramatically, or Cisco has dramatically improved the accessibility of, of WebEx since we started with them. You know, almost two and a half years ago. Um, but but the fact that you know that's that's benefiting people with disabilities not just in Illinois but all over the world, um, and it's pushing the their competitor products to be more accessible as well. So I think that was a, a you know really exciting and really rewarding uh, aspect of, of the whole effort is to have an impact you know much bigger than just even just Illinois. Um, so very, very exciting for sure. Anything to say about unemployment? Yeah. And so in that one too, I mean, that was a, you know, a, a system that while it was always, um, available online, I don't know that that was, I don't think that was primarily, uh, you know, the, the prime entry point necessarily. Um, so with the, the extremely, uh, ex exponential growth there in the beginning, um, of the pandemic, it, it became really apparent that the challenges um, that system still had. So that really became, a again, another internal working with uh, developers. Again, this was, you know, internal to us this time, not with a vendor, um, just really working through that again, iteratively to um, continue to make improvements um, as we go. And I don't know, Mike, we're, I'm sure you and maybe others were involved with that one as mm -hmm. well. I don't remember. Yeah. 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 And Colin, that was a neat example, you know, kind of in contrast to working with the vendor and, and a product with the WebEx thing, that the unemployment system being one of the state's own. And it was an older system, had been around for a long time. And, um, you know, not not kind of the primary uh, way that people were getting unemployment insurance maybe before the pandemic. But the the in addition to getting that system um, improved and made accessible, um, made a real effort even while we were working as fast as we could to fix, to also teach our developers. So that team you know, had not been real versed in accessibility before uh, this all hit. And um, while we were identifying what needed to be corrected, 
we made sure that they learned how to do it so that, you know, once we got through the first couple iterations, they were able to start running on their own. And, and the next changes, improvements, and the next systems that these developers work on are going to be that much more accessible because of it. Right. All right. So what's, uh, what's next? I, you, you made at least one reference to the fact that this is a, um, there's really no finish line on this. It's just a kind of constant state of maintenance and trying to integrate this into what you do all the time. Uh, what's so, what do things look like going forward for accessibility? Yeah, really just, just what we talked about, which is he's, we've got a few more, uh, staff that we're working on hiring to work within his group, but, um, you know, to continue to build this out and again, put a little more, uh, you know, a little more governance in place around it, um, build out some training uh, for both development teams, for it users, end users. So I'll let, I'll let Mike speak to that though. Sure. And, and Colin, you, you hit it right on the head there. You know, we, we talk with the advocates who are, keeping us honest um, um, that this is a journey more than a destination. And, um, you know, they have been fully on board with that and realizing it's a, it's an effort to just continually improve as the technologies change out uh, from underneath us. So it, it definitely is an ongoing thing. Um, you know, we are building out the office uh, today. It's just me. Uh, we've got two new staff coming on board um, a little more than a week from now. That's super exciting. Uh, certainly, it'll take a little time to get some of them up to speed, um, and and then really just kind of uh, trying to scale up what we have been doing, you know, less formally uh, over the years. So, um, doing the same kinds of things, uh, doing accessibility reviews of systems, uh, software of products, um, identifying what needs to be fixed, working with you know either the vendors to get those things fixed and, and confirm they're getting fixed right. We're working to train our own developers to do that, um, you know, not and then not only to fix, but also to, um, uh, you know, build accessibility in from the beginning. The next time they work on a, on a on a project, and then uh, as I mentioned a little before, you know, this kind of opening the door to a whole new world uh, of getting the non IT people, the non IT staff throughout the state who are making electronic documents, um, you know, getting getting them aware of accessibility and what they can do, you know, how they can go to the accessibility review tools within Word or the accessibility checker in Acrobat and, you know, tools that they probably don't even know are available to them today. Um, show them, teach them and and get them on board with, um, you know, helping do, uh, you know, that whole half of the equation. So um, a lot of work ahead of us, but uh, but again, I'm, I'm excited. Um, you know, hopefully it's not just a honeymoon period, but uh, we, you know, really seeing a, a level of awareness a level of enthusiasm and engagement um, about accessibility um, like I haven't seen in probably a couple decades. Jennifer Ricker, CIO of the state of Illinois, along with Mike Scott, the state's chief information accessibility officer. You can read more about information accessibility at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, we highlight more nominees of NASIO's 2022 State IT Recognition Awards. You can subscribe to the podcast at priorityspodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Nebraska's state patrol is working with the state CIO's office to speed up reporting efforts for law enforcement using digital forms. The effort, which embraces the use of traffic and criminal software that multiple other states use, runs on the state office of the chief information officer's servers and digitizes a previously handwritten report in a fraction of the time. The effort won the Cross-Boundary Collaboration and Partnerships Award in NASIO's annual state IT recognition awards. Jerry Karlikowski, a state patrol captain in Nebraska, tells State Soup's Colin Wood how the project got going. State of Iowa had a system that they built in-house um, that they shared with other states. Um, that's the track system. We came onto that 2003. Yeah, the early 2000s, uh, the uh, court of, uh, administrative uh, office of the courts here in Nebraska, along with the crime commission, approached the Nebraska State Patrol and specifically the Care Enforcement Division at their uh, permanent way stations to see if we could uh, set up a system where we could electronically transfer or submit citations uh, to the court system. And uh, that division operated under a initial version of tracks for uh, several years, probably close to oh, six, seven years. And then they brought on the rest of the agency and implemented it with them. So we, we've been uh, part of or had the implementation or dealings with tracks for several years. Uh, and that was the e-citation, only the e-citation at that time. But we, we noticed the, uh, the implications or, or the positive aspects of this and where it could, could take us and also what the other states were doing, Iowa was doing with it. Uh, we kept in contact with them. And uh, we knew that it was going to be a, a matter of time that we could uh, offer it to other agencies or transfer a huge amount of data electronically, both to the courts and to other agencies, sister agencies within state government alone, like DMVs and uh, eventually, of course, like NDOT uh, with the crash. So we envisioned this. It just took us a little time to get there and uh, a few things to fall in place. And we, we had the perception or the idea that sooner or later they would fall in place as long as we kept collaborating with those sister agencies and working towards that goal. And those two uh, 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 events that took place here in uh, January 2020 and January 2021, the first one being that the courts mandated that uh, Majority of the citation, majority of the agencies issuing citations would have to do it electronically. Mm, okay. So uh, that was probably the the biggest event to push it out and and uh, have a share and work uh, collaboratively yeah. with other other agencies. So, yeah. so outside of outside of that mandate, is this something that officers ever requested? Does this were they complaining about paperwork or? Was there any other sense outside of that mandate that this was something that could be beneficial? Yeah, to tell you the truth, once again, we go back uh, many years ago, and it was uh, the courts, uh, court administrator's office and uh, uh, crime commission that pushed for the issuing of electronic citations. Uh, but soon thereafter, once we began that, uh, the officers... Uh, Boy, they, they adopted it wholeheartedly and, and saw the worth and the time savings and the not just the time savings, but the, the quality of data 
the consistency and the, and the quality of data being transferred um, to one system to the other, meaning law enforcement writing writing it, developing the form, and then transferring it, going in the court system, and therefore they could wouldn't have to touch it as much as uh, what they did on the paper form. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, the officers are buying off on it, and especially with this crash form now. Uh, overwhelmingly, they support it, uh, to my knowledge, uh, now uh, nowadays 100%. Yeah. Right. Another That's thing that helps, um, there's a lot of tools that come with doing it electronically. Um, they can scan the barcodes on driver's licenses and registrations and pull the data onto their form. The statute list is on there. So when they pick the statute, it has the fine amounts and charge description and all of that there. So there's a lot less that they need to remember the details of and manually mark down. Right, right. So, okay, good. I'm glad you brought up some of the uh, functionality there. Before, I want to get into some of the challenges and and uh, the implementation side of this. But before we get there, could you provide a, a brief overview of exactly what this is and what the, a plat- the platform allows people to do today? Yeah, the, the track system effectively is a framework for building electronic forms and reports. Um, it's generally fairly, um, it's very customizable, I would phrase it. Um, so while we the software is provided to us by Iowa with our license with them, um, the states are in charge of developing forms to their state's standards. So our citation conforms to um, the Supreme Court's rules on what citations need to look like and so on. Um, Because it's as customizable as it is, we have interfaces that can go directly pull DMV records. Um, We can pull, um, I don't know if you know what the switch is, but it's the system that law enforcement uses to communicate between states and with the FBI and such. Mm, Um, We can, they can run a vehicle registration and pull the data that comes back on there into the vehicle section on forms and tracks. Um, They can take data from one form and push it to another. So if they have a crash and they have a citation for someone that crashed, it'll pull the person and vehicle information over so they can fill the citation out. Um, uh, It has, scheduled processes built in to export the data and send it to the Department of Transportation and courts and export the data out for individual agencies if they want to put it into their own reporting systems. Um, It's kind of a full suite for records and forms management. Right. All right. Great. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of connections there between different computer systems and different agencies. So both organizationally and technically, what were what were the main challenges and considerations as you rolled this out over, over some years? Um, I think the biggest challenge seeing it coming was um, personnel was one. Um, I think when I started working on this project, I was the only person assigned to it. Um, that was in 2014. Um, but because we saw where we were headed with it, I think by the time, um, the 2019 stuff started coming around, we were up to eight people that includes three grant funded temporary positions for sort of the extra work 
at the front of that. Um, so we had a lot of support organizationally and funding for those grant funded positions came from NDOT largely. Um, so we had other partner agencies in the state helping us get that going as well. So that was one organizationally. Technically, we did, again, we, we had probably 2010 to 2013 or so, we explored sharing tracks out to other agencies in the state, um, but both the version of the software we were on and the way that it kind of worked at a server level, it didn't work well for the three or four agencies who tested it. From the point that I started onwards, we got a newer version of the software, which allowed us to make the whole system centrally hosted instead of hosted at the local agencies. And that made a huge difference in our ability to support getting so many agencies on. Um, there's a lot of states, Iowa shared it all across their state, but when they did it, each agency sort of hosted their own data. Mm. And so they had to build all the infrastructure so that their client machines could send it to the local agency's database and then from there to any state databases. And maintaining that was a lot more difficult than it's become in recent years. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's, it's a broken record and it often applies to, to many different things, but uh, the funding source, the funding mechanism. And, and while, while the agencies in the state put something together to make it work. It, it certainly wasn't as clean as it, one would like it to be. In other words, having a steady stream of uh, funding for law enforcement agencies and, and, and or the court system to uh, fund the purchase of the hardware and uh, the training time and everything else for all these other, for all these agencies, including patrol, but some of these smaller agencies. Uh, currently, and, and uh, how it's done is, is that uh, they, the uh, Office of Highway Safety puts out a grant uh, through the uh, Crime Commission. The Crime Commission is a recipient, and then they post that open for not necessarily a bidding process, but for a, a uh, application process from all the local agencies where they apply for the funding through the Crime Commission for their hardware and uh, and, and those funds to equip their officers and or patrol units, so to speak, in order to be part of this whole system, not just for tracks, but, but to anything, any electronic uh, hmm. data collection and submittal. So certainly it's, it's worked so far, but it's not as clean as uh, one would like if there was a steady stream of uh, funding for agencies to go to, you know, as long as they met the parameters would be nice. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, you, your sense is that this has been well received uh, outside of, you know, positive reviews by users. Uh, what have, what has the impact been of, of transitioning to this, to this platform? I think one of the big benefits that we've had is we've worked a lot more closely with a lot of these agencies, I think we're at between tracks and then there's sort of a separate system for kind of GPS vehicle location and communication that sort of goes alongside it. 
So between those two systems, I think we're working with something like 150 of the agencies in the state. And I think there's roughly 200 total. So are we working a lot closer with all those agencies as well as a lot of the state agencies? I know the amount of electronic citations has gone up quite a bit. I don't have numbers for it, but the data the courts are getting is cleaner because of that. So does that have to do with like, you know, you, you can make a field required, whereas obviously a, a paper document yeah. doesn't have that. Yeah, required in, in validation. So mm-hmm. if they put in um, date of birth that's in the future, or if it's for, it calculates that the person's 10 years old, it can give them a warning and say, are you sure you put the date in right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of validation that can go in there and make sure things are entered how they meant to enter them. All right. Well, what's what's next? Is it are you guys done? Or is there is there more to to build out on this? Um, you also mentioned uh, you know it's made it easier to work with other agencies. Is has this prompted any new um, projects or anything like that? Tell me tell me about what's next. Yeah, we've been um, adding more and more forms to the system. I think the two big statewide forms were citation and crash. Um, I think we're up to something like 17 forms in there so far. Um, And we have a list of them that have been requested from coroner's reports to um, warrant tracking, a number of other things um, that are uh, emergency protective custody is one that's been requested. There's a lot of forms that law enforcement agencies sort of use as a standard that have been requested to get added to the system. As part of that, Um, We have a number of agencies who have been bringing on sort of as a full suite records management system um, where it sort of tracks tracks incidents, prepares court packets, sort of all the way um, evidence tracking, all of that. So um, through a grant from the Highway Safety Office, we've been building out that functionality. We've got eight agencies um, in various stages of getting that implemented or piloted. And we see that probably growing quite a bit. Real nice benefit of the track software is it's a statewide license. So as far as software licensing is concerned, we can have as many law enforcement agencies as we want on the system with no extra cost. There's obviously hardware server development costs on our end with it, but from a licensing perspective, there's no extra cost. So we feel the more people that are on the system, the more value we get out of what we do pay. As we mentioned uh, earlier, we started with one agency uh, on tracks and, and submitting documents uh, many years ago, and now we're up to how many agencies uh, in tracks, Charlie? Is it uh, 112? 124? 120, 130, yeah. like that. Uh, agencies and, and from all levels of, of uh, law enforcement and, and collaborating together. And uh, we are putting together, we have put together a conference and, and kind of a working group on tracks to get the verbal and the, the direction from not just State Patrol, but uh, the local agencies as well, the Sheriff's Office and the PDs on what is needed, what, what needs to be changed. Uh, so we have uh, not just one mindset there, but uh, what uh, is usable by all, all of law enforcement. And also, the impact and, and where we want to go is the continued cooperation or collaboration with sister agencies, the DMVs, the, the courts, certainly Crime Commission. And without their help and without their cooperation and, and uh, direction at times as well, 
uh, we couldn't have uh, made it as successful as we have. Jerry Karlikowski. Nebraska State Patrol Captain, and Charlie Lucas, Nebraska IT Applications Developer Lead. You can read more about modernization at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can also read more about all of the other projects that won NASIO State IT Recognition Awards there too. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.